0: And as always, before we get into this week's interview, I want to give it up to our wonderful sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. You can join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. Sign up for a free account at MailChimp.com. Do you need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. You can also grab a .dot .online domain for just $15. That's really great for like self-branding projects and things like that. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code to 100 and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and more starting at only $2 per item. They give away a selection of free goods every Monday. Of course, today is Monday. And they've got great bundle promotions every month. Right now, the September Big Bundle is going on. It's a massive 81-item bundle for only 39 bucks. And there's some really great stuff in this. And I know that I say that every month about the bundles. But this month is especially dope. So if you see something else you like, use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase here's our patreon fundraising campaign update so we're now at 19 patrons for a combined total of 150 dollars per month so i want to give again a huge thanks to all of our patrons who've already pledged their support and appreciation for the show if you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some really great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, or a monthly Google Hangout with me and other Revision Path supporters, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash Revision Path and make that happen. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month. All right, now for this week's interview. I talked with Temi Arini. Timmy is a lead creative designer for Blinkist in Berlin, Germany. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: I'm Temmy. I'm originally from London, but I'm currently in Berlin. I'm working for a great company called Blinkist. My background is more in advertising, but when I moved to Berlin, I actually made the switch to designing in-house, or product design. I've been designing, I'd say, pretty much from about age 11 or so. I managed to stumble upon Microsoft front page I don't know if anybody still remembers that. It's kind of a throwback at this point, I guess. <laughs> and uh, I got into design in the, kind of in the weirdest way. I found Front Page and just became obsessed with the idea that I could type in lines of of words or whatever and have something disappear on the screen. And really, I was obsessed with the the marquee tag and just seeing things scroll across the screen. <laughs> From there, I started designing like fan pages for bands that I was into in my teens. I got to about 16 or 17, and I was thinking about my future and what I would do at university. And that's when I actually discovered that I could actually take design as a profession. I really had no idea before that it could be something that I could earn my daily bread with, basically. So I got to 18, of course, and started university. Um entered a new media course. At the time in the UK, there were not so many. So I think it was one of about five in England. So I did that course. It was not too bad, some good points and bad points. And from there, entered the advertising world. And uh, yeah, here I am now,
0: really. Wow. So that's a lot to, to <laughs> cover. I want to go back to the beginning. So you started around age 11 with front page i was going to ask like has design always been something that you've been really interested in that you've sort of had that interest with
1: not exactly so i kind of found front page by random when i was a child i was had this interest of just snooping around my computer and opening programs and seeing what they did And that's really how I found FrontPage. And I actually didn't get that this was a website. I don't think I really knew what websites were. But from there, I was really interested in coding. And in my early teens, I was really obsessed with (laughs) the band NSYNC. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I started to notice all of these fan pages popping up. And I was like, wow, Like, how can I make my own? So I would dig into the source code and basically just rip off <laughs> everything I saw there and mm-hmm. pretty much teach myself HTML via copying and making my own uh, fangirl pages. Yeah, I wasn't really particularly into design, strangely. I was more into coding. And it wasn't until, I guess, my mid-teens where I I think I discovered some kind of cheaper version of Photoshop and I would play around in there, but I never actually made the link between design and coding as as two things that could be married together to produce like a website. That took me a while <laughs> to learn, figure out that, yeah, both things could be combined. And yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I found them through separate paths, but at some point it all came together.
0: Well, I think a lot of people, at least when I'm thinking of maybe like in the, the like late 90s, early 2000s, we really started learning about design. That's how we kind of all did it. We looked at the source code. We kind of reverse engineered it to try to find out how things worked how they all kind of worked out. I can understand how that kind of goes out. Now, from there, you went to the University of Leeds, yeah. and you mentioned that you got in a, a new media program there that was kind of one of the the few that were in the city. Talk to me a little bit more about that program.
1: So it was kind of interesting, I suppose. It was a mix of coding. So we would do things in ActionScript. We would do things for, I think, one semester in Code Fusion which was really bizarre at the time. And even looking back, is I'm so kind of dumbfounded <laughs> that we had a, a module in that. <laughs> so yeah, ActionScript, Cold fusion, of course, HTML, CSS. So there was this coding side to it, but there was also kind of like a foundation in design and also a foundation in communications. Strangely, we were not, as a course, we were not located amongst the art and design schools. We were actually in the communication schools, which was an interesting choice. I guess on the one side, it makes sense. On the other side, I think perhaps for someone who was leaning more towards design, it was a bit of a strange thing because you didn't really understand the connection between graphic design and web design with the course in the communications department. Yeah, but it was really a mix of things. Some bits were quite useful. I'd say overall, it was like a very practical vocational type of course. And it really did actually equip me with the kind of skills that I needed to to graduate and just, you know, interview for places and say, hey, I can write ActionScript 2 and I can keyframe animate and flash and I can design bandits and things like that. So overall, pretty decent, I'd say. And now what year was was kind of all of this going on? Oh, this was I was there between 2006 and 2009.
0: OK, because I'm, I'm trying to think, as you mentioned, like Cold Fusion <laughs> and stuff like that. No, no, no. But I, I'm thinking also kind of here in the U.S. I don't know if there were that many programs outside of, say, strictly art colleges or maybe technical institutes that really sort of had that same type of a hybrid web design or, you know, that that kind of program that yeah. you're mentioning. So after college, I saw that you interned at a few agencies, you interned at Collective London, at Elmwood, LBI, WDMP, sorry. What kind of sticks out the most to you about that time? What did you really learn with all those internships?
1: Well, I'd say perhaps the most memorable experience for me from all those internships was my very first one. Collective London. The way I ended up there was one of my university lecturers knew someone who was working at Collective because he had been on the year, he had been on a course the year previously. So I kind of got in through that connection. (laughs) For me going there, I got there and I was like very much awestruck. I thought these guys were just complete rock stars. Everything that they were making was just extremely high level, high quality stuff I think, to be honest, I felt like very inferior in terms of my work. And that really affected me a bit. I ha- was working with a creative director and he really kind of had to uh, <laughs> get me to snap out of it and to say, you need to kind of be a bit more confident about what you're doing or will I have to let you go? And that was the wake-up call for me, that even if I felt that my work at the time was just not good, especially compared to what everybody else was producing in the in the studio, that I would just have to pretty much fake it till I made it. And I wouldn't really say I made it, but I definitely got better after the six weeks.
0: Well, that's good that you had someone there that kind of pulled you to the side and told you what you needed to say, hey, you need to just kind of get it together. I don't know if many other studios would really do that. I feel like a lot of them would just kind of just find someone else. So it's good that someone there was kind of looking out for you for that.
1: Absolutely. I think at the time I thought it was (laughs) pretty brutal (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> now that I can look back on it and I've been in the position now to kind of be the, the senior designer working with younger designers. I am actually just incredibly thankful that the creative director at Collective was just like, yeah, pretty much get it together or goodbye, I suppose.
0: Well, like they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. So So yeah. that really helps out. So after your internships, kind of tell me, what was the first sort of big job that you had after you did all these internships, the first kind of full-time job?
1: My first full-time job was I started as a junior designer at an agency in London called Digital Annex. So at the time that I joined, the team was still quite small. I think the team was about 20 people, which I think for an agency in London is kind of on the small side. But actually, that was a real blessing, I think, coming to an agency that was actually still really small, everybody was very friendly, the team was very close-knit, and I think if I joined a bigger agency in London especially, I would have just kind of got lost in the in the fog, pretty much, and would have ended up doing the typical junior designer tasks, like cutting out assets and making banners and so on and so forth, which I definitely did at one X <laughs> but it wasn't, the kind of defining task that I had to do so I could really kind of pursue a lot of different things so if I wanted to learn how to make an email then I could do that if I wanted to build something in flash then I could do that later on I got more into motion graphics so I would often take over projects that needed kind of video work or motion graphic work animation work even in general And later on, I got more into art direction and just kind of leading projects in terms of UX and things like that. So yeah, overall, I think it was a great experience. I was there for about three and a half years. I got to see the team grow, got to see the design team, especially go from about four people to about 12 people by the time that I left. So
0: yeah. Yeah, that's great that you were able to really kind of grow into that role like that. Yeah. It's so interesting you say like 20 people is small. Like here I'm thinking 20 people would be A fairly big agency. like Two or three people, maybe I'd say less than 10 here, would be considered a small agency. Oh, wow. So anything (laughs) bigger than that, I mean, well, well, no, this kind of leads into another question. Mm -hmm. What is the creative scene like in London?
1: I think the creative scene in London is actually pretty great. I think London as a city has all of this history in terms of like writers, in terms of theater, in terms of music. It's creatively extremely diverse. And I think As a person in the design industry, it's actually a really great city to be in. There's always things happening. You have all of the big studios. You have also kind of, I wouldn't call them smaller, but I would say more independent studios that are really doing very forward-thinking work. I think one that comes to mind is us two, and they do obviously client work, but they are also quite known for, for example, apps that they do, which are just extremely high quality and inspiring stuff so I think as a d- designer in London you're kind of in a way spot for choice in terms of where you could possibly work but the downside of that is of course is that it's extremely competitive and I think you definitely kind of feel that and you notice that and between agencies it's not so uncommon to have like lots of turnover and such so yeah
0: so when did you make the move from London to Berlin where you are now
1: I moved to Berlin about two years ago. I guess I'd been at Digital Annex for three and a half years. And I had gone, as I say, from a junior designer on a team of, or at a company of about 20 people to a midweight designer. And at that point, Digital Annex, I guess, was about 45 people. And I think I just felt that I had exhausted my capacity there. I could have obviously stayed, it was quite comfortable. I really liked everybody there. It was very familiar, but I didn't like this idea of being stagnant creatively. And I felt that I was kind of approaching that point. I did have a lot of freedom in terms of the projects that I was working on and in terms of the ideas that I could put forth. But I ultimately felt that I just needed to be challenged in a different way. And I started looking for, for other jobs and other opportunities out there in London. But I also, I think I also had itchy feet, about staying in London in general and I felt that I had been born in London, I was raised in London but I'd never really lived anywhere else aside from when I went to Leeds for university. So being in Europe of course and you can basically travel freely and go live anywhere else and it's fantastic. I started looking at places like Amsterdam and of course Berlin and I found a job at a startup here called Get Your Guide and it was actually really kind of a whirlwind so i found the job i applied and i think between applying for that job and actually moving to berlin it was less than a two-month process Wow. yeah so it happened incredibly fast
0: what drew you to berlin was it the job that just made you decide to go there
1: in a sense yeah i think it's kind of random how i ended up here so i decided to apply for the job but i'd actually at that point never been to berlin so um, it, I was kind of going into it quite blind, but I felt that the job, from what I was reading and the job description, was actually really for me. And when I spoke to um, the head of design, who was at the time working there, I just got like a really, really good feeling about the job and about what I'd be able to do that would further myself as a designer. And yeah, I think it just really appealed to me. In terms of Berlin as a city, although I'd never been, I had various friends who had been here and they all loved it and I thought if I have all of these friends who've been to Berlin and they're all quite different but they all come back and say that Berlin is an incredible place then you know it probably is (laughs) 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 so yeah I decided to kind of take the leap and I was incredibly incredibly scared in the run-up to moving out here that I kind of was thinking to myself, you know what, I'll give it six months, and if it turns out really horribly, then I'll just bail and just pretend this never happened. (laughs) But yeah, here I am after two years. It's gone incredibly fast.
0: What is it about Berlin that you enjoy specifically?
1: That's a hard question. I think the city has really a lot going for it. I think in being a designer here, it's actually really, like really, really fantastic. You've got the startup scene where it still feels quite close-knit, so it doesn't feel like every event you go to there are like tons and tons of strangers it feels like you get to meet new people for sure but there are still familiar faces which is kind of like a comforting thing the city i think for me it feels quite friendly i think some some people would say some other maybe they would say something different because berliners have a reputation of being a bit hostile but i've only had kind of good experiences thus far I think compared to London, it's a lot more chilled out. And for me, London always had kind of this undertone of um, kind of aggressiveness. Everything is like really, really like go, go, go. Whereas in Berlin, it feels so much that there is a lot of space and things kind of move at a slower pace. Not that it's slow, but it's just a bit more chilled and yeah, it feels like you can kind of really live life here, if that makes sense. You can live life on your own terms, and it doesn't really feel stressed out.
0: That sounds great. That Berlin should have you on their tourism board. That, <laughs> sounds, that sounds amazing.
1: <laughs> no, it's fantastic, yeah. I would recommend it for anybody at least once, for sure.
0: So are there any kind of and, – and this might be a silly question to ask, so bear with me. When I, I think about like design trends – I know here in the United States, the design trends, for the most part, they kind of tend to follow some themes along Americana, like it's very rustic, very woodsy, very outdoorsy. Or you might have some more mid-century, modern type of stuff from around the 50s and the 60s. Is there anything that you would say is specific about the German design aesthetic? Because I think here in the United States, we think engineering, precision, Volkswagen, Mercedes, you know that Mm -hmm. kind. Well, not Volkswagen, but we think that that sort of German efficient engineering kind of thing.
1: Yep, I'd say in terms of trends these days, I think it becomes harder and harder to identify trends from specific locations, just because I suppose it's really easy to draw influence from from anywhere, and really, who knows where which trend was started? I think in a way, I think historically. German design definitely has a pretty strong and rich history. I think a lot of the design that inspires designers all over the world kind of originates from Germany. So I think one kind of clear example is Braun. And obviously, companies like Apple, heavily inspired by Braun. So yeah, I think design in general is really appreciated here. And yeah, I would say historically, there was perhaps more of a distinct aesthetic that is not so kind of seen here, I'd say today.
0: Interesting. Okay. Now, one thing that I want to talk about is diversity. Here in the United States, there is always a lot of talk about diversity in the creative industry, generally around technology, but sometimes it seeps into design as well. What is the German kind of creative industry like as it relates to that? Are those same types of conversations about diversity taking place?
1: To me, it doesn't really feel so. I think diversity, if this discussion is had, tends to usually be along the angle of gender. So, you know, there should be more women in design or in tech. But I think in terms of, I'd say pretty much anything else, so in terms of race, for example, I would say this conversation has not really been had here, which is a shame. But, yeah, I'd say overwhelmingly, the design scene here is still very much kind of homogenous.
0: Do you think these conversations need to start taking place there?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Like do you think
0: there's kind of this this uh I don't want to say this this animosophy, but certainly is there is this conversation kind of happening among, you know, designers of color in Germany?
1: To be honest, I feel as a designer of color here in particular that I'm in a sense like a unicorn. <laughs> I get the sense that there are actually not too many of us walking around in Germany, especially not in Berlin. And I would say just my basis for thinking that is the kind of events that I would go to, so either tech-based events or design-based events. I think the population of these things tends to be, you know, overwhelmingly kind of white male, sometimes white female, but in general, yeah, I think... In terms of diversity, it's kind of lacking. I do definitely think the conversation needs to be had. I would say Germany's in in an interesting position in the sense that, so we have a a blue card here, and this is for people to come from, I guess, non-EU countries to come and work, and the requirements needed for designers has actually been lowered. So it's easier for designers from other places to come and work in Germany because they're needed here. And I think that... The quality of designers, I don't think the quality designers are just going to be found in Germany alone. I think they need to come from other places too. And I think we have a scarcity of designers here, obviously. So we should be speaking about how is it possible for us to get designers from other parts of the world to actually come to Berlin or come to Germany in general and see this as a place where they can kind of make their mark and where they will be welcome here.
0: So two questions to follow up with that. The first one, Is Berlin really kind of a a diverse city? Like, do you think that the population there in terms of kind of diversity among the creative industry, does that really even exist in Berlin to say that, oh, we should have the conversation that Mm -hmm. more people of color should be involved?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting thing because I think Berlin in general is actually a diverse city. It's a city that's definitely rich in a lot of kind of, yeah, it's rich in terms of expats, There are people coming here from all over the world. And, like, although I do see sometimes one or two kind of other black faces in tech or, you know, other minority faces here, I do think we can actually do more to bring other people here and kind of change the face of the creative scene, if you like. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Berlin as a city is diverse, but it feels like these, like the same diversity is not really represented And the design and the tech scene or the creative scene in general, I think.
0: I got you. I understand. It kind of feels that way, I think, in a lot of U.S. cities as well. I know there's a lot of talk about Silicon Valley here in California, about how the the makeup of Silicon Valley, because of that, because of those demographics, that's why you don't see that many black people in technology or in design. But, I mean, there are so many other cities and things here in the U.S. And I can even just say here in Atlanta, it feels a bit similar to that like atlanta is a city that is predominantly black Mm -hmm. but when i go to design events for the most part it is a mostly non-black crowd yeah so that's an interesting thing to kind of point out the second thing talk to me about this blue card and like requirements for designers what's that about
1: oh i can't claim to have a huge amount of knowledge about it but <laughs> especially being from the from an EU country <laughs> but the reason why I actually kind of know about this blue card is because so at Blinkist were or we were I should say hiring for more designers and I found a really great designer based out of Morocco so I was very excited to have her come over to Berlin but she would be coming over as an intern the problem is that unless her contract is a, you know, like a non-internship design contract, she wouldn't be able to come over here. So I was speaking to one of the co-founders at Blinkist. He informed me that it was kind of an unfortunate situation that she was coming on, a, on an internship contract because if she was coming on a, a regular permanent design contract, it would actually be quite easy for her to get here. I think the reason why... The requirements are lower for designers to come in here, purely I guess, I guess, is because there are so many startups here, there's just a scarcity of designers to actually come and do the work. And it's pretty clear to me that we actually need more talent from other places in the city to come of to keep up with the amount of startups that are just pretty much, it feels honestly like they're starting, starting. yeah, it feels like they are um, just popping up every day
0: mm-hmm. here in the city. I guess what intrigued me about what you said was that there are like these requirements for designers. And I'm wondering, does that mean that for other occupations that want to come into Germany or into Berlin, are there like lists of requirements that people have to have in order to immigrate there?
1: Yeah, I do believe there's a list of requirements, but I think they're just not as stringent for people who are professional designers and want to come here.
0: Interesting. Yeah, we don't, I would say we don't really have that here. You can come (laughs) from anywhere. Our doors are fairly open. I don't know if, if as it relates to uh, to any particular industry, if it's something where it's that stringent, where there are kind of rules and requirements that you have to have in order to come in. You can just come into the country. Really? We're pretty open. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm probably speaking a bit of hyperbole there, but I mean, certainly there's not something uh, like you would have to probably get a working visa, mm-hmm. which I think might be similar to the blue card that you're mentioning. Yeah. But the working visa, for the most part, I think tends to cover A number of different industries and there might be some rules around renewals and the visa is only good if you're working at the company that supplied it and things like that because i have a friend that's here he's originally from india Mm -hmm. and so he's worked here on like h1b and on working visas and things like that and so he often has to bounce from job to job as the visa expires if they don't decide to keep him on so maybe it's something similar to that to what you're mentioning i think it might be along those same
1: lines yeah i think it is along those lines
0: Well, let's switch gears here because I do want to talk about the work that you are doing at Blinkist. What is Blinkist and what are you responsible for there?
1: Okay. So Blinkist is a service where we take pretty much, I would say, popular fiction books and we have actual human people. A lot of people don't believe this, but we actually have readers who read books nonfiction books. And what they're doing is they're actually just kind of getting an understanding of what the book is about and taking out all the fluff so that if you want to come and you want to read something like How to Win Friends and Influence People, but you want to read it today and you want to read it on your commute or listen to it on your commute even, because we also have audio, um, that's achievable for you now. Um, You just get the key insights of nonfiction books, so you can kind of fit it into your day and actually just kind of seek new knowledge or gain new knowledge without really committing the time to complete a new book or complete a whole book, should I say, over X amount of days or X amount of weeks. So it just makes it easier for people to kind of read more and learn more.
0: So that's interesting. It's not like an audio book. You said it's it's a synopsis of what the book is about. Absolutely. How long are these kind of synopses?
1: They're around 15 minutes. The key points oh. of each book are really distilled to their core so you can just like get the basic understanding and basic principles behind each book without kind of, yeah, pretty much without having to also kind of read the fluff in between that usually pads out non-fiction yeah. books.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. What, what do you do there? What's your role?
1: So what I do at Blinkers is that I'm leading design. So for all of our platforms, so for iOS, um, Android, and also the web platform, yep, I am just trying to make UX and UI much better and have things that help our customers experience the service in the way that they want to and just in a way that's going to be positive and enriching for them.
0: What are some sort of new things, if you're at liberty to talk about this, Mm -hmm. what are some new things that are coming up on the horizon with Blinkist?
1: I can tell you one new thing that was just released on Thursday. So, something that we just released was some new social features. So now you'll be able to follow people in your network and see what they're reading and see what they're kind of finding meaningful from the things that they read, because you're able to create highlights. And I guess the next big thing for us coming up is just kind of expanding or building upon the social experience and making our finished experience. So when you finish a book, what happens after, just kind of making that whole experience a lot more meaningful for people. Mm -hmm. I would say right now, The experience feels very much so that you read the book and then that's it. The upcoming finish feature will will allow you to kind of make notes in the book and kind of share that with your network and actually have a favorites list now. So we're kind of building these, I would call them like foundational level stuff that just adds a bit more meaning and a bit more, yeah, a bit more usefulness to the product for customers.
0: What would you say is kind of the best thing about working there?
1: I would say one of the best things is that everybody is incredibly smart smart, and everybody is just kind of able to own what they do and do it at an incredibly high standard. One of the things that has impressed me is just that people are really, really very much about the job that they are doing, which is fantastic. And it's kind of I feel, in a way, it's strange to say that because, obviously, in whichever company you work for, people should actually be really focused on whatever their speciality is, but it tends not to happen in some cases. But I think at Blinkist, if someone is, I would say, working on copywriting, they're actually really passionate about this, and they're able to be the advocate for good writing at Blinkist, and they're able to have people listen and say, hey, this should be our tone of voice this is what I've written and kind of get people behind that and really enthused about it. I think it's kind of hard to do that in many companies. I would say that we're lucky that we have the organizational structure to facilitate that. So yeah, I think that's one of the best things about it. Who have been some of your
0: mentors as you've gone through your design journey? Anyone out there that's really kind of helped you out, giving you some great advice, things like that.
1: Yeah. Mentors is a funny word, I think. Or an interesting concept, for me anyway. I would say that I've never particularly had a mentor. A couple of years ago in my career, I was actually really kind of feeling some kind of loss around that fact. I felt that I really wanted some, some guidance on a more ongoing basis, which I didn't have. I would say kind of looking back now, I don't necessarily feel that it's affected me or affected my career even in a negative way. In general, I think I've been lucky to work with peers who are super smart and always had a lot of time for me in general and a lot of kind of good insight into whatever I was working on now. But they were also kind of generous enough with their time to give me like feedback and to critique things like my personal project. So I would say I kind of had like a lot of mini mentors going on in my Mm -hmm. career (laughs) rather rather than one or two people who really defined things for me.
0: So speaking of projects, in your bio, I know you mentioned that you are a fan of self-initiated projects. Yeah. What are some of your self-initiated projects?
1: <laughs> I can mention two. So one of the projects that I did, I think about two years ago, or so it's called 140 Song. And it was just kind of a, a silly project that I put together because I was interested in learning more about integrating a social API into a web project. So you can check it out at 140song.com and it basically pulls in your tweets, it picks two random words from the tweets and sends that off to YouTube to bring back a song. (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) just random and silly, but I really had so much fun with it. I'd never done at that level, which for me was kind of advanced. before then I kind of really had no clue what an API was or what things like JSON were, I just didn't get it. So doing that project really allowed me to kind of further my understanding of those technologies, which was awesome. Another one I did was kind of another silly project. I think uh, most of these projects are just actually quite lighthearted. So the second project was something called Clichégram, and I just took a bunch of tags from Instagram that I thought were... Really typical cliche type tags from, from Instagram, yeah. So things like latte or selfie or whatever. And it was just kind of like a um, an aggregator. So you could see all the pictures from these particular tags. Yeah, just a silly project that I did in a week, but kind of funny.
0: What kind of keeps you motivated and inspired with all the work that you're doing?
1: i say for me, it's the, the realization that I'm actually not where I want to be yet. I suppose I have a sense of where I want to go in my career and where I want to develop as a designer. So the idea that for me personally, I'm not to the standard that I want to be kind of keeps me working working more towards. So it keeps me going forward.
0: What advice would you give out there for someone that kind of wants to get into design or maybe even wants to follow in your footsteps? What What would
1: you tell them? Someone who wants to get into design... I would say the number one thing is just practice. Just do work. I am even still so inspired by younger designers who set themselves challenges, like I want to produce a design for the next, I don't know, 30 days or something. I think that's incredibly inspiring, and I think that's really the only way to get better. And I think even for designers who've been in the industry for a while, I really believe that kind of your design ability it's something that you need to keep working on; otherwise, it just diminishes. So I think always challenge yourself, always just do new work. Don't be afraid to contact people that you admire on like places like Twitter or Behance or whatever, and ask for advice. It might take them a while to get back to you, but I think the good ones or the I don't know like the humble ones will definitely email you back and give you like some advice and some tips. I would say the big one, which I learned early in my career at Collective London, in fact, was to not be shy about gaining feedback from people. Even mm-hmm. if you think your work sucks, just put it out there, put it out there as early as possible and get advice and get opinions yeah, as frequently as you can, I would say.
0: Okay, I have a series of questions I want to ask. I guess I can call this the uh, the lightning round. <laughs> I'm stealing this from another <laughs> podcaster. His name is uh is Will Lucas, and he has a show called the Of Ten Podcast. Mm-hmm. And usually near the end, he asks like a series of, of like lightning round type questions. So I'm gonna ask you a few questions and just give me like the first answer that comes off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite sweet treat?
1: <laughs> sour candy.
0: So, like sour patch kids?
1: Yeah, like these sour ones.
0: Okay, all right.
1: Kind of obsessed.
0: Favorite TV show,
1: Twilight Zone.
0: Interesting, a classic. Okay, all right. What's a current song that you really, really like right now?
1: Blesser Moy
0: Ah, nice choice. I like him.
1: He's great. He did Sumberland, a Berlin recently. Yeah. Really? Yeah, fantastic. Gig. It was ridiculous.
0: He did a concept album. I think it was maybe earlier this year called Lace. No, no, no. The album I think was called Michael, mm-hmm. but he went by the name Lace Sins. Uh Or Laysons or something like that. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. But I I really like him as an artist. He's a cool guy. Best piece of life advice?
1: Because I really like food, I would say one of the best pieces of advice that I got from my mom, which was that if you're really craving something today, just go and eat it because tomorrow isn't promised.
0: Mom always knows. (laughs) What's your dream job?
1: Design is actually genuinely my dream job.
0: Okay, that's a good answer. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of designers, of course, what they're doing now, creating and putting stuff out there, that's that's the dream right there. Yeah. If there's any space in the world that you could create a design for, where do you think it would be and what would you make?
1: My mom has a plot of land in Nigeria, which is where I were from. So, so I would probably build it on that plot.
0: <laughs> like build a house there?
1: Yeah. Okay. I think it's close to the beach, so... Oh, that's even better! Yeah, absolutely. Now
0: you've kind of, you know, moved from London now to Berlin. But if you had the opportunity to live and work somewhere else, like dream opportunity, where would you go?
1: I think for many, many, many years it was actually New York City, and I would say New York still holds like a lot of appeal for me. Um, Okay. So I would say either New York or I would go for somewhere where I think it would be. Culturally, like, very different to, like, wherever I've experienced before, wherever I've lived before even. So I would say probably either Lagos or somewhere in South Korea, I think.
0: It's interesting. I just interviewed someone from Lagos. Well, no, she's in Lagos now. Actually, though, she's from Lagos. Mm -hmm. She went to school in London, and now she's back Uh, in Lagos doing uh, UI and development work. I mean, their scene there, their tech and creative scene is really booming there so that might be something to look into where do you kind of see yourself in the next five years
1: i think past the age of i don't know i think past the age of about 24 or so which actually technically wasn't that long ago i um (laughs) (laughs) i just decided that i don't think i would want to define my life that rigidly in a sense I'd say five years ago, I wouldn't have imagined that I would be sitting here talking to you from my apartment in Berlin, but then here I am. And I assumed I would just always be in the digital creative industry, so in advertising, but I'm not there either. So I think in a way, I don't want to define where, where I could be or where I want to be in five years. I think the main thing for me is actually just to keep growing and to just not stay stagnant and to just kind of, I don't know, keep doing things that make me happy.
0: Good answer. Good (laughs) answer. I've done (laughs) dozens of these interviews. You are the first person that has not given me like a concrete answer. No (laughs) So that's a good, no, because our world is changing so much. I mean, even five years ago, I wouldn't have, have pictured what I'm doing right now. So it's so hard to think, you know, five more years in the future, what you know technology will do what impact it will have on our culture so it's good to stay loose stay flexible i like that absolutely so just to wrap things up here Temmy, where can our audience find you online
1: so I can find me online at my website which is temi-a.com otherwise twitter is a good one so twitter.com slash id um i also have a blog Well, a photography blog in case anybody's interested in seeing photos of Berlin. It's called MonthlyBerlin.tumblr.com. The monthly bit is a bit of a lie, but there are still photos on there. All right.
0: Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, for speaking with me about your work and really kind of also, I mean, you know, showing our audience what the design scene and the creative scene is like in Berlin. It sounds really, really attractive. I got to admit, it really sounds like a place I would love to check out. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. No problems. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great to do it. And just a random thing. I actually found out about Revision Path on another design um, <laughs> podcast. So it's funny how that works. What was the show? Um, I think it was Design Details. Really? Yeah. Hmm.
0: <laughs> Interesting. All right. I, I know of Design Details. Uh huh. I just didn't know that they had mentioned Revision Path. So that's... That's interesting to know. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. But thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: No, worry. Right. Thank you.
0: And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Timmy Adinigi and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Timmy and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes out to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They've got great reporting and autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover, and you can save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code ROADTO100 at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, which is a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com and pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday. And if you see something else you like, use our discount code REVISIONPAD to save 20% off your purchase. episode was edited by rj basilio and produced by me maurice cherry our intro is by music mandre with intro audio by yellow speaker the outro audio this is my tape for you is courtesy of jimmy square make sure you subscribe to us on itunes leave a rating and a review it really helps us get new listeners and i'll even read your review right here on the show revision path is a 318 media project if you like the work we're doing with the podcast then visit our new home over at patreon just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge level start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.